Fashion was and is her passion. She started her own company and established herself as a force to be reckoned with. Then, life changed Adrian Student Gordon's course dramatically. The climb to the top feels so good when you get there. Is it just us, or can it feel lonely sometimes, even when you're successful? And who defines success anyway? What about life's twists and turns? We've learned a few things along the way, and we're ditching the culture of competitiveness. Bringing together women from different backgrounds to share their stories. Let's do this together. Welcome to Think Tank of Three podcast. Hi, this is Rishia Candidate Capasuris, here with Audrea Fink and Julie Holton. We are your Think Tank of Three. No longer about Gucci and Prada, Adrian moved to a different field altogether. And then another redirection. How she managed to reinvent herself over time and on the fly, especially in the era of COVID. We are delving into the story of Adrian Stewart Gordon. Thank you so much, Adrian, for taking the time to join us today. Thank you for having me. I'm really uh, honored and blessed to be here. Uh, we're blessed to have you, love. We're blessed to have you. So just tell us right now, tell us about your current company. I'm a current company. I own a company with my business partner, Rain and Farsh Jacob. It's called Pound Cake Society. Most people think that means we make cake. We do not. We named it Pound Cake Society because we thought no one would ever know the name. And we like cake. Uh, we like cake and champagne, which is what we think. So here's the first little tidbit. Be serious when you're naming your company. Um, <laughs> so it's called Pound Cake. You had me at Pound Cake. So. Yeah. It's called Pound Cake Society, and we make women's apparel. Uh, we specialize in sleepwear and loungewear, luxury sleepwear and loungewear. I'm a woman of a certain age, and when my business partner and I, and we're old-time friends, my business partner and I, got together when I moved back to Los Angeles, she said, what do you want to do? I said, well, sleepwear right now is my jam because every time I go shopping, I can't find cotton. I'm a woman of a certain age. I get warm more often than I like to admit, especially at night. And I can't find cotton pajamas that are pretty. So I, I went on the hunt for PJs, couldn't find any. And so we decided to make our own. So we make luxury sleep and loungewear for women. And uh, when COVID happened, we pivoted to make face masks. And we make pretty darn good ones, I have to say myself. We've done the due diligence to get them tested and verified with Nelson Labs, which is the world's leading lab to test medical equipment. So while we're not medical grade, we know where we fall on the spectrum and we can make certain claims that I don't know that everybody can make. So we know where our masks stand. So that is what we are doing currently available in Nordstrom. Very happy that they did not cancel their orders. And, you know, with COVID, there's a little bit of like, everybody's at home. So sleep and left, we were actually doing pretty well. Yeah. yeah. And they player, working from home, sleep and loungewear. I'm into it. Put a caftan on, you could sleep in it, or you could take your Zoom in it, because it looks, you know, so to speak, regular. <laughs> I am here for that. I am here for that. Okay, I want to hear more about these masks, Tia, before we move on, because, uh, you know, it makes sense that uh, that designers would, would transition into helping with masks. There was such a shortage early on, and now such a continuing ongoing need for them. But you have yours tested. So tell, tell us about that. How did, how did that evolve for you to go that extra several miles, really, with this idea? Right when the shutdown happened here in Los Angeles, which was around May 6th, no, May, March 17th, we were like everybody else reeling, trying to figure out what we're gonna do. I have a child, he's 
now 11, he was 10 then. And I'm like, they're closing schools? <laughs> Wait, my business partner's like, we're getting shut down and we're so new. We're, we were just, we're less than two years old. She said, look, we've been getting requests for masks. And we had been, but it wasn't like the request. It was still like February. We had just come back from the Super Bowl. Like we were like, oh, we know, we just didn't know it was this immediate. And she said, well, let's see what we can do to help the healthcare workers and let's try and make some masks. She's like, I'll figure it out. She's got a geophysics background and I've got a chemistry background and marketing. And I said, well, I'll start a GoFundMe. You figure out how to make the mask. She's more on the design side of things. So she came up with a great washable, reusable cotton mask, three layers before they ever said we needed three layers. And we put in there a polypropylene filter, which is medical grade. We couldn't say medical grade because we hadn't gotten tested. People started asking to buy them, then they became mandatory. As we started getting some popularity, larger corporations came calling and they were testing our masks and letting us know what their test results were saying. So I said, well, we can't publish any of that. We need to get them tested ourselves. And yeah, they're good. They're wonderful. I, we have them in our house. So I've been taking my son to hockey. I kid you not, every time I go out, someone comments on my mask. That is so pretty. I love that because they have so many options. And I told a woman at one of my son's hockey clinics, uh, I told the woman where to go. She went immediately. And then when we were leaving an hour later, she said, I just ordered three. I said, oh, well, okay then. <laughs> I said, you're going to love them. <laughs> I just went to the website, shop.com. <laughs> I've got a couple things in my cart. And who knew six months ago that we would be commenting on pretty masks and, and looking to find masks that match our outfits. <laughs> Adrienne, fashion has not always been constant. What, but it's obviously a passion. What took you away from fashion? Like so many of us that get married and, and start families, that's what happened. I got married. Um, I was in fashion for a long time, had a big life change. I'm on marriage number two. And this time started a family. And I tried to stay in fashion. I moved to the East Coast from California. Then I moved to Connecticut. I was back and forth to New York. That is not a small commute for those that make it, especially from Hartford. I'd leave in the dark. I'd get home in the dark. <laughs> was, mm. I, wish, I was praying for them to put a gym on Amtrak so I could just jog my way home while the train <laughs> moved along. I was like, I got to get something else in, you know. And then I had uh, my son, Blake, and he was born with some genetic differences, and that changed everything. Even the first two years of his life, I tried to travel with him and continue to do fashion, him, me, and the nanny, flying to Los Angeles. It just is too much. It was too much for him. It was too much for me. Right. So I, that, that took me away from fashion, and I, you know, that came with some challenges. That's my first pivot, my first reinvention. How did leaving fashion and those changes in your life affect your self-reflection and, and your sort of self-identity? Rish and I have had many conversations about this. It was devastating. I was at the top of my game in fashion. I had my own company. I had four, three offices, Los Angeles, Dallas, and New York. I had several employees. And when I left it, well, when I sold it, I wasn't leaving it for good. I took another job in fashion. I needed a break from owning a company. And I was well regarded in the industry. I think I had a good reputation. 
And then to go from all of that, which is more mental and the money too, the money with making yes. my own way, having my own discretion. And, you know, I was like, you can't tell me anything. I can do what I want, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> um, and then to go from that to being totally in a new place with none of that holding me up, so to speak. I, I wasn't standing on any of that. I was standing on new ground with add to that, you know, I was in a new place. So nobody knew me. They didn't know my background. I hadn't worked for somebody else in a million years. And now I have this new label of mom. What does that mean? And I have a child that is challenged, going to be challenged. And he's our first, he's our only child. So I really had a hard time with leaving because I think my identity was wrapped up in what I did. So much of what I, who, who I thought I was, and I was wrong, but it took years in therapy to figure that out. And they tell you when you're a little girl, you can be anything you want. And you can. I mean, I think you can. I believed it. And I, I rose to the highest heights of what I wanted to do. And then all of a sudden, I didn't know what I was doing anymore. Like all the, everything that I grew to depend on, my skill set and what I was good at and the respect, the respect alone. You know, now you got your spouse and they respect you, but you're around them all day. You know, <laughs> they're the ones you have to stretch with the most. Your spouse is so frequently the person you are the best and the worst with. Exactly. Exactly. And I say that, you know, it's, it's true. And then you have your child who knows nothing of who you are. You're just mom. I, I tell Reese the funny moment. Blake was, my son was telling me where I should be going. I guess I was irritating him. And he said, mom, you go to the kitchen and dad's going to go to work. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I work. I did work. I am a worker. And this is work up in the house. Like if you don't think, and one of my girlfriends, I noticed that she always ended her emails with CEO of Hill House. I didn't know her well enough to know that Hill House wasn't some nonprofit. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Yes. I love that. I, I caught on as we got to know each other. I'm like, oh, CEO of Hill House. That is a thing. I am now the CEO of the Gordon House because it takes a lot to run a household. So it much. takes a lot mm -hmm. to plan and do all these things. And I didn't appreciate it at the time. I really had a mind serious mind warp for um, figuring out who I was and what I was doing. It makes so much sense, I think, because, you know, mm -hmm. you mentioned the word vain, and I don't think, I understand why you said that. I think that really, especially as women, when we're so passionate about our careers and about when we're so driven to succeed, you, you built your way all the way up. You rose to the top of where you wanted to be. And it's hard not to have that become our identity because one, it's something we're passionate about, right? Like you're so passionate about fashion that it makes sense that that becomes what you live and breathe and eat and sleep and, and everything. And then when you, when you step away or even kind of turn slightly away from that towards anything new, we have to figure out, okay, what are we without that? Because it's not just a career, it's what we're passionate about. And there's a lot of pride in that. I think we work so hard to achieve our goals that when it's time to refocus or to take the next step towards something else, it's really hard to let go of that. And I it makes sense that your identity would be tied to that. I think we also are taught in our culture, 
right, here in America, that you are what you do so frequently. So you are a teacher. When you get introduced to someone new or you introduce someone, you don't start with, this is my friend Sue, and she is into running and gardening. You start with, oh, and she runs her own fashion company, or she is the CEO of Hill House. We start with that. We put so much emphasis in this culture on production. What do you produce? What is your job? And, and so it makes so much sense to have so much of your ego and your self-identity and, and who you feel you are wrapped up in that because it's an expectation that you build it. And there's definitely undertones, sometimes subversive, sometimes not, about what it means when your job isn't what we consider valuable. So if we say women who work at home aren't working or women who stay at home aren't working, which is just bull, then you now suddenly have to say, oh, I now stay at home. I don't produce, I don't create value. And it's not true but it is frequently how our society and our culture today look at who a person is. And, and Adrian and I discussed this quite a bit. She, she has, has lifted me out of my doldrums quite often because the other side of that is, is a dependence factor. Like she was saying, she had it going on. You've got this career. I had it. I had, I had this amazing career that I loved. I was making my own money. I remember before I met my husband, I, I literally would, when I was praying about my future, my future relationship, I remember the only thing that I asked specifically to, for God to do when I, you know, with, with, with the faith was just, I don't need someone to take care of me. I just need someone who can work with me. I can take care of myself. Yes. And then that rug got pulled out from under me based on that monetary level of things, because now I wasn't bringing in that salary anymore. Now, when the tax filings were filed, I was no longer contributing. And when you have spent so much time on that career and growing up, thinking about what you're going to do and, and, and how you do it, and that goes away, now what? It's a lot. I love my husband and I love my children, but I loved me too. And I felt like I really lost a chunk of me. And that was, that was hard to contend with. And it's not so much that you lost you. There's a new layer of you to get through. I'm going to add to that. You're peeling back a layer. You're right. exposing a layer. It is not in a comfortable layer. And there are so many things to unpack with that based on our individual histories. But to your point about the financial freedom versus the dependency, there's this, for me, there was a sense of, because I'd gotten divorced and I was good with it. I was like, yeah, I got this. Now, not that that was going to be an option, but it's like, what would I do? I don't earn anything. There's a sense of, um, what is the right word? Panic is not it. You just feel like helpless, helpless, a little insecure. It's a lot insecure, mm-hmm. not in yourself, but just in your circumstance, you know, and I What happens if, and you had the answer for what happens if before. Before, yeah. And it's not even what happens if my marriage doesn't work out. It's what happens if something happens to this person. Yes, exactly. (gasps) What then? I can relate to that too. As someone who's single, there was a time in my career where I knew I wanted to leave 
my identity, the career that I, I was a TV news producer, had been for 12 years and knew that it, that I was losing my passion for it. I, I was losing that I still loved it, but I wanted something else. I knew that there was something else for me out there. I just didn't know what that thing was yet. And I was in transition, leaving one contract and looking to what was coming next in my life. And I had a few months to figure that out, a few months of, of pay and, and, and things to figure out. And, but the pressure was mounting because, you know, there's only so much time to figure out what that next step is going to be. And ultimately at that time, I couldn't make that transition yet. I ended up taking another job in TV news because that that was what I knew and where my comfort zone was. And I finally, I finally realized, okay, I can do this temporarily. This is not my forever yes job. This is my yes for right now while I figure out what comes next. But it was all because of that mindset of who am I without this title, without this career? What am I going to do next? And as someone who is single, I felt that pressure as well, because if I'm not supporting myself financially, I'm not supporting myself financially. And so sometimes we have to make those in transition decisions where we, we often talk a lot on this podcast about moving from one great thing to the next. And I think it's important to, for, for women to recognize that it doesn't always happen that way. And it's okay. It's okay to like, to take that next little step, kind of like those next little stepping stones to lead to whatever that next big yes is going to be. And it sounds like Adrian, you, you know, you navigated that for a few years before coming back to where you are now in this, you know, in this career that now, despite COVID or because of COVID is going so well for you. It's picking up. It sounds weird to say, oh, you know, COVID, thank God. No, I can't <laughs> say that. I, I want it to end. I really, really do. I want us to get to a place where we don't need face masks anymore. Yeah. What I want to take away from COVID, one of the things is the family time. I am so grateful that we've had this time. I hope my son will remember it. The time we were all together, all the time <laughs> and had to come up with creative ways to, you know, spend our time. And it's a little bit of my childhood because I grew up with my family. So, you know, I thought, oh, he'll never have that. He got it. He's, he's, he's getting it. He's not getting the extended family, but he's definitely getting board games and family TV time, you know, and barbecues and stuff like that. So, yeah. But then there's that, that balance side of things once again. And, and as I think about that word that we, for the most part, heap onto women, women working outside the home, women working, working inside the home, <laughs> women who aren't necessarily earning a, a salary, but are CEOs of those homes, period, point blank. But then when you add to it the challenges within that balance, how did all of that, the, the situation with Blake, career choices, how did that, that all affect your decision-making and how you were going to proceed? Like everything else in all of our lives, everything seems to be happening at one time. Mm -hmm. I wish it could just be, today it's this and I'll work on that. Everything happens at once. So while you're dealing with a newborn with challenges, you don't know why you have eight doctor's appointments in a week. Is it supposed to be eight doctor's appointments in a week? Do I need to see a neuro specialist and an ortho specialist for my four week year old? Like, why are we going to genetics again? Like, you know, you're dealing with all that. Plus you're like, and breastfeeding because that's what you're supposed to do. And, you know, your body's getting back to normal. Like there's so many things happening at once. We're going through all that. I wasn't thinking of working at that moment. 
I just was thinking about being a, being a mom to this little person. As the years progressed uh, after his first year, his first birthday, we were able to get a correct diagnosis for him. We've been going round and round with genetics and nobody quite knew what our challenges, what his, the challenges he had were gonna be. When we finally got a diagnosed, it turned out it was super rare. He was one of 70 on the planet at the time with this particular genetic difference. And I, I, and I choose my words carefully, and I, I'll say this for anybody that's listening that has differently abled children. It's not a disorder, you know, it's not a misnomer, it's just a difference. And he's differently abled. Once we figured out what was going on with him, and we had a bit of a roadmap set up by our lead geneticist, and I call her our lead ped, lead pediatrician in Boston. <laughs> we just started on the roadmap. We, you know, it's just one foot in front of the other. If that's all you can do some days is put one foot in front of the other as you get out of bed, that's all you can do. And that's okay. That's enough. You're still moving. <laughs> You're still moving in some direction, even if it's just toward laundry. It's a direction. It is. <laughs> um, and something is happening. Even if you haven't brushed your teeth or taken a shower, there will be clean underwear at the end of the day. So we got him going. And then over time, there were you know, while that's happening, I'm still trying to figure out who I am. I'm frustrated. I have to ask my husband for everything, which is fine. He was also volunteering things. I didn't have to ask him. But you just feel like you're always like, I need help with this. Or I need, you know, I need, I need, I need. The financial freedom was gone. Plus everything we just talked about. So I, dare I say I was a bit depressed. I know I was. And I was trying to figure it all out. But too often times we're so busy as women with our lives. You don't have time. I don't have time to be depressed. I don't have time to look after myself. I don't have the time. Too much else is going on and time was of the essence with our child. I found myself in therapy. I'm a big believer in therapy. I found a therapist, very helpful. And I was able to just unload on her everything. And I went through, again, more than one therapist. Look, if you don't like them and there's something that's driving, switch. Uh It's not the therapist for you. Find the one that works for you and that could be challenging you or making you think differently. I've had three good therapists in my life and they've all been for different things and different times in my life. And they're all very different because I needed something different at the time. But this particular therapist, you know, just let me talk through it all. Like I didn't have anybody to dump on. You can't always dump on your spouse. Typically men are trying or your spouse or your significant other might be a helper. That might be their gift. They're trying to always fix something. They're typically fixers. I didn't need to be fixed. I need to figure it out myself. Only I could bring myself out of this. Um, and I was circling the drain. I mean, as much as I had going on, as much as my philanthropic, you know, I volunteered when I wasn't working, I was deep into philanthropic things and raising money for this or donating time there and um, immerse myself wherever I could. Kept going in life and people were like, oh, she's so great. And I'm like, I am dying slowly inside. None of this is working. I haven't figured it out. And it wasn't until um, I started realizing that, well, two things happened and I'll make it quick. With every step of my son's life, I never just went to the doctor. I always researched what they were saying, dug into what it was, you know, Googled, you know, why is the right side of his face bigger than the left side of his face? Oh, that's called plagiocephaly. My next call was to the doctor. Do you think my son has plagiocephaly? To which the doctor said, 
how do you know that word? I'm like, let's stay on point. Let's just <laughs> stay on point here. That's the question it. I asked. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> just don't. And turns out, yes, he has plagiocephaly. Okay, now what do we need to do that, you know, to, to address this? So there were lots of those moments because he was medically challenged in a lot of ways. He's had several surgeries. And with every one of those, you know, I got to know everything I could about him, what this was, and all the offshoots of what it brought with it or what it could bring with it. And it reignited, much to my surprise, the passion that I had in college, which I was a chemistry major first. I wanted to go into medicine. My dad helped me out of that because I was failing terribly by my, by my junior year in math. And my dad's like, Adrian, you know, you've always really been good at business and you've always been selling something. Girl Scout cookies, lemonade, whatever it is. He's like, have you ever considered business? I'm like, oh, that's so boring. Who would want to do that? And then I took a marketing class. I'm like, this is like breathing. I can do this without thinking about it. So business was my new passion. And I left chemistry behind, but not far. I've always loved helping people. I always had a passion for people at their worst, people suffering. My, I come from a medical family and a family of teachers and educators. And so, I don't know, all that came together to form me. And with all of this with Blake and then everything the therapist was saying, it all kind of congealed into one moment of what could you do, which was the question my father asked me in college, for the rest of your life and enjoy and not have to make any money with it, but it would fill you up personally. And I thought, well, I'd be a doctor, but I'm too old for that. I can't go into that right now. What happened was I took a biology class at a, at a community college to understand more my son while I was still trying to parse all this out in my head. And I did really well with the biology class. I'm like, oh my God, I have a child. I'm full-time at home. I have a thousand things to do and I'm going to school where I'm the oldest person now in the front row. I'm that student. <laughs> close, taking all the notes, listening intently, you know, while all these kids are behind me. And I made an A. And I, and I was studying at like three o'clock in the morning at the hospital because the hospital has a cafeteria that's open 24 hours a day. So I could just sit and eat and study. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the goals. I took the biology class and I took a genetics class. And by the time I was through the genetics class, me and the therapist were like, you know, you really do like medicine. And I'm like, I do, but it's too late to become a doctor. What about becoming a PA? I could become a physician's assistant. Started looking at those programs and it was a short jump. It's like to be a PA, you had to have so much nursing, so much patient experience. So what's the shortest line from me to patient experience? Assistant nurse. I took an assistant nurse's class and it lasted, I don't know, six weeks. And I took that class and started and got a job as an assistant nurse at a hospital. And it was so disgusting and I loved every minute of it. So I took a job doing that and it, I really started to come out of everything. Plus during that time, and it was brief, but my, my therapist went ahead and had me diagnosed. I was a little depressed. I thought about medicating and tried something for a minute that was prescribed. God bless, I lost weight and moved a million miles a minute for about three weeks. And then I thought, these are not the pills for me. <laughs> but it was, you know, the weight loss was fantastic. And <laughs> then, you know, I came out of it. I wasn't, um, it took maybe three, four months of coming out of something that lasted a while. 
and I had to change my thinking a lot and I still struggle with it. There's still new things because coming back here, starting this, I'm like, you'll see, I'm going to show you. But I, I took the job and I started down the path to become a PA and I was taking classes at night or in the morning through the day. And I'd work 12 hour shifts from 7 PM to 7 AM and then go home, get my son, take him to school and wait because he went to a special school, which was about 20 mile drive. And I'd sleep in the car sometimes just waiting for him to get out of school. And I'd go home, rest, do the thing, laundry, all that, and then get up and go back to work three days a week. It's stories like that where, I mean, every, everyone who works in the home has a different story, but it's stories like that where I'm like, where did we get this idea that women who stay at home don't do work? Like just the sheer volume of like carting kids back and forth, like that hearing about that makes me tired. I don't understand how we look at men who go. So in my, in my household, my husband was a student. So he stayed home, sort of took care of the house and then studied. And he just graduated. And I went to work in the same house currently because of COVID. But I worked all day. So I would get done with work. And mentally, like, my brain is done. It is mush. So I get how that's viewed as work. But he had to, like, use his brain in school and pick up cat vomit or like take the dog for a walk or remind me like, Audrey, you have to eat. Also, it's time for you to shower, do laundry because it's getting a little stinky in here. Like, and he, <laughs> it was such a huge lift for him. And I could recognize that because especially in sort of this pandemic where I was working from home, I could see what he was doing. And he is a total effing slacker compared to like what women with children do or women who actually actively participate in the home because they want to. For the life of me, I will never understand how we look at a woman who stays at home and think, slacker, easy, man. Bonbons and television all day. Right? Yeah. I mean, that is what I would do if I stayed at home. Well, it's, it. the picture, it's the picture that society painted, reality or not. Some things always got it. I told my husband, I'm like, look, if you want me to work at this level and I'm going to ascend back to the level or close to the level where I was, Michelle Obama said it best. You're not going back. You're moving forward. Like what is, what is, I'm becoming something else. I don't right. want to be who I was. I've got to be all these things. And then the next, something's going to give. It's going to be our relationship, Blake's something or this house. And it turned out to be like, I'm not cleaning the house anymore. I'm also not really cooking. Like those two things, I will help with laundry. But something's going to have to give. And as women, we have to give ourselves the okay to let it go. Adrian, you, you are a force in every area of your life. If you haven't heard that in a while, I just need to say that to you. Like, let's just connect for a moment because to recap for our listeners, you created this incredible business in fashion. And then you had a child. And you dedicated your time to your family, to your child, and not just to taking care of your child, but learning. And it sounds like at some points, teaching the doctors or pointing things out to the doctors, which is, is so important to advocate for our mm -hmm. health, for our children's health. And then you took it, you, you kept going. You took it, you, you created a, a job out of that. You were helping others. You were working in a hospital three nights a week, three days a week, while also taking care of your family and all of these other things. So you're on this path. 
You feel good about your path. You're, you're remaking your way on this path. And then here comes change again, all the way back to where you started in California. So That's help us connect the dots here. How did you go back into fashion? I call it, I call it a plot twist. <laughs> <laughs> what is happening? This is a plot? major plot twist. And by the way, I said go back to fashion, but in Michelle Obama's words, you moved forward into fashion. Again, in a different way. We, you, you nailed it. I was so settled. I was so comfortable. He was in school, the special school I thought to get him into. I was working finally in a field that I felt great about and I could see the next step. I could see where it was going and I knew I'd be able to earn in dermatology because that's the field I chose. Work a regular schedule, make six figures and be able to contribute to my household and my future no matter what. It was going to be, that was it. This is where I'm going. And then the major breadwinner of the family got a job offer in Los Angeles. And I was like, but you can't say anything. I mean, you can, but you don't want to like juju it, the wrong juju on it. So I was like, that is fantastic. We're okay. We're, you know, one or two trips to LA. And as we explore these things and, and I'm like, I need to start looking for schools out here. I've been with him long enough to know what read between the lines. Like he's really considering this and I'm like, okay, okay, God. And so like anything else, I start looking into schools out here, which ones have good PA programs? Does the hospital I work for have affiliates in California? Can I transition? I have to sell my house because when my lovely other half got said job and took said job in December, he started the job three or four weeks later in Los Angeles alone oh because so he moved into corporate housing <laughs> shipped his car it's so easy for some people to move <laughs> on and as Blake continued to go to school and I could I I then left my job with the hospital shortly when he started his job out here because then I had no one to help and I know there are a lot mm -hmm. of single parents out there who work at you know I just wasn't in that place. I had a really good network of friends in Connecticut that helped me more than I can thank them for. There are no words, but I couldn't do that and sell a house and pack. So all this is happening. And then in February, I got a fun diagnosis for my tatas that I was pre-stage something or another. And I was like, what is happening to me? And I, but again, I couldn't focus on it because so much was happening. And I thought this I have to focus on because this could be something life threatening. Um, and so along with all those other plans, I'm like, do I see an oncologist here or do I see an oncologist there? You know, where will that continued line go? I ended up Googling Angelina Jolie's uh, people. And well, I don't know anybody, you sure, know, sure. And she's the only person I know that's publicly like just in my mind that popped out that had gone yes. through it. So, I got her doctor on the phone and he was fantastic and helped me continue that line here in California after I saw doctors in Connecticut and determined I really didn't want a female doctor from a female parts. Yeah, once we got through the health thing and I'm fine, yeah, that's when I had to make a decision about what I was going to do next. And I determined that all of the things that kept me from continuing with my passion were gone now because I was back in a place that supported it as far as resources and my old friends and those kind of things, which there weren't many left. Like the world had changed with the, you know, uh, recession through 2000, I guess, seven, eight, whatever. 
or I could try and continue down the medical path. And again, not knowing, I went for both. I had a conversation with a friend, my, my now business partner. We decided to try something with very little money up front and mostly elbow grease and sweat, sweat equity. And I went about the business of transferring my nursing license from one state to the other. But most of my time, again, was spent looking for schools, getting us situated, unpacking a house, finding the grocery store, where's the post office, just finding the things and getting back, you know, some semblance. Because as women, we're also, especially if you have other people in your immediate life, whether it's your parents or significant others or, or a niece that you're raising or whatever, you are the balance. You balance the scales. Typically, it's you. It doesn't always have to be you, but typically, you're the one balancing the scale. So it was my responsibility as my spouse tried to settle into his new digs that he had as little pressure on him as possible. My son felt comfortable and that he didn't feel uprooted. I did both. And even right up until the pandemic was doing both. I was running the company. We were getting it going. I was seeing Nordstrom and trying to get the line out there. And I was nursing two days a week privately. So I did both right up until COVID. And then that brings us to everyday rituals. So now we are here in the pandemic. You stopped nursing, it sounds like. Tell us about that switch into how did you get from that to where you are today? Everybody stopped working. <laughs> it was quick. It was quick. And my client was like, look, they're telling everybody stay home and keep your masks on. So we're like a lot of people, no more housekeeper, no more in-home nurse, no more of these. And I was like, okay. Cause I really was doing it to keep my nursing license um, active. active. We just, everything stopped. And so then it was full time. Let's work on this. And how do I save our Nordstrom orders that we just got? Cause we were launching at Nordstrom for spring. That was when the collection was doing its debut in April and May. And then that wasn't happening. So, you know, you're, you're scrambling and the mask donations, making them just kept our lights on. Cause we weren't making any money. We were donating them. And then it was like, oh my God, it got real busy real quick because we had a couple of television appearances that, you know, helped local and national. <laughs> and we didn't know what happened. <laughs> and, and within two days, we'd sold something like 30,000 masks. So you've gone through 12 years of change, pretty consistent change to those 12 years. You've had to readjust how you see yourself, what you see as your job, what you see as your responsibilities and, and how you present yourself to the world. So as you're reflecting on that and you're going through that process, you're also dealing with depression, which is a, a very real, difficult, unseen issue to, to be dealing with. How did you turn away negative reflections? How did you stay positive? How did you keep that momentum of one foot in front of the other? Because while it's true, like one foot in front of the other is really the only way to get through it, sometimes taking that one step, right? Sometimes doing laundry is so big when you have so much weight on your shoulders. How did you stay moving? I mean, some days I totally broke down. Like you just I cried a lot. You know, I tried to keep a diary for a while and I had a diary of only the good. So I only write down good things in it. And then I had the, you know, crap diary. The ones where I was like yelling at people <laughs> out on paper because I'm so nice that I can't say it, but I will say it somehow because it has to come out of you. But the only the good is great because it just lets you reflect on whatever good, no matter how great or small it is. 
and it was not overnight. I had to learn that I was enough. My view of myself was enough. I had to have a good view of myself. I knew who I was. I'm a good person. I don't have to second guess that. You know, I know what I'm capable of. And if I really step and think about it, it would drive, I'd be like, oh my God, what? With my child alone, like mm-hmm. whether your child has special needs or not, every one of them has a different personality. Like you have to be Houdini to deal with mm-hmm. all the people in your lives. Aging parents, parents living and passing away. All of these things are happening in the same 12 years. You're just, you have to tell yourself you're enough and what you're doing is enough. You know, I can't get it all done in a day. And like Oprah says, you can have it all. You just can't all have it at the same time. And it's very true. It's a very huge distinction that people I think miss all of the time. And I think what you just said leads us perfectly into our rapid fire. I actually think you just said it. So this would be probably re-emphasis. But as we collect advice from successful women such as yourself, is there a lesson that you learned recently or over this entire time that you wish you had learned earlier? That, that I'm enough and I have something to offer. My light is my own light. It doesn't have to shine as brightly as the person next to me. You know, just make sure you surround yourself with people that allow you to shine and be yourself. From all of these lessons that you've shared with us throughout this podcast, because there have been so many along the way as you've made all of these changes, these career transitions, life transitions, what advice would you offer to any career woman? Think about your long-term goals, what your ultimate goal is, like why are you working? The hierarchy of need. Where are you on that hierarchy of need? Why are you working? It's not just because you want to. There's a goal. And then whatever you're doing, always make sure you have some semblance of several plans so that you can be fluid and pivot. I think a lot of times we get stuck. I know I got stuck not knowing how to transition my skills, but we're so skillful. You just have to learn how to redirect your skill set. And, you know, hopefully you'll find passion along the way. We don't always get to do what we're passionate about. I've been lucky. I was able to figure those things out. But just make sure you're happy when you do it, if you can be. In today's professional setting, what do you think the most important skill for a woman is? Flexibility. Um, I heard a minister once say that in the Bible, um, Adam needed help. So he asked God for a helper and he made Eve. And then when Eve came along, she didn't get a helper. (laughs) 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 Because apparently Eve could do it all. She didn't need the help. Mm. (laughs) And while we appreciate it, you know, as women, I don't know that, you know, and we feel like we can do it all, ask for help, but be flexible because you don't know what tomorrow is going to be as, as evident with today and COVID. All right, Adrian, I have your website open on my screen right now <laughs> because there are at least I? a few masks that I need, <laughs> but can you share with our audience, what is the best way to connect with you and your website if they want to get in touch with you? Absolutely. Our website is shopeverydayritual.com. And if you want to email us through the website, you can. It goes to info at, ritual, at shopeverydayritual.com. And you can always call the company. The phone number's on the, on the website. And we have Facebook. And then we have at Shop Everyday Ritual on Instagram. Adrian, it has been an absolute honor. 
and pleasure. I thank you so much for sharing your, your story, your knowledge, your strength, your power. You're just a better person for having spent this time with Adrian Stewart Gordon, period. Oh, course, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. thank you for that. For all of us, we all say thank you. And uh, that's it for this episode of Think Tank of Three. If you have topics you'd like us to cover or guests you'd like to hear from, send us a message at thinktankofthree at gmail.com. Subscribe to the Think Tank of Three wherever you listen to podcasts and connect with us online. We blog weekly at thinktankofthree.com. Follow us on social media. You can find us individually on LinkedIn and as Think Tank of Three on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Women, click to join our private group on Facebook where we can all share advice and articles. And if you liked what you heard in the podcast, share it. You can find Think Tank of Three on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Amazon Music, and SoundCloud. 